as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Heads up, McAllen PD is hiring. Our police chief, Victor Rodriguez, joining us. So I got a press release from the city. You got two dozen positions opening up. So are you growing the department or having to fill in folks who left, you know, for, for greener fields? What's going on, chief? So it's a, it's a combination of both. Um, last year we approved... Um, the city of McAllen approved us, and that is we grew by 17 positions at McAllen PD. 15, if you recall, 15 of those came from a grant that we, we were able to successfully apply for and uh, and got through the U.S. Department of Justice COPS grant uh, program. So that's 15, and we added two at the city of McAllen, so that it added 17. So, so some of this is, is, is uh, due to growth, and then the other is due to attrition. We, um, we have about a six and a half seven percent annual attrition rate more or less so that always um every year we experience between let's say 18 to 24 um vacancies that are due to retirements from um yeah uh, mm-hmm. resignations and things like that how big is again how big is the police force how many do you have on payroll so our current strength is 316 sworn positions at McAllen pd Above and beyond that, we've got uh, 144 non-sworn positions. So we are somewhere in the area of 461 um, total personnel strong at McAllen PD. We are the largest department at the city of McAllen mm-hmm. um, with with uh, 316 of those positions, what we call sworn positions, People, police officer positions. Investigators right. and patrol cops and all that. Yes, sir. That's pretty good. So. Uh, are you happy with that number? I would say yes, because I mean, McAllen is one of the safest cities in the country uh, of its size. We we are we are the largest uh, municipal police force south of Corpus Christi, San Antonio. Uh, there is no one larger than we are. We we do maintain, and this is a, a strategy the city of McAllen and our leadership has has uh, sought to always maintain. And that is uh, maintaining a 2.0 uh, uh, ratio of police officers to uh, to thousand population. So so we we have a uh, what we call a, a ratio of 2.0 per, that is two officers. 2.0 officers per thousand population at McAllen. Yeah. We maintain that's one of the highest in this area. So well. um, that is our that is our standard. Now, now clearly, um, when we always have vacancies, and, and uh, right now we've got about 24 vacancies that we're trying to fill. We've got a, a civil service exam coming up on Friday the the 15th here at the city of McAllen. Okay. Um, McAllen, you know, an officer here base pay wise at the end of his or her first year will be making uh about sixty two five. That's just base pay. You oh. know, clearly um uh their their overall pay after after their base pay is substantially more than that with overtime and other other assignments that we uh that we're able to uh to make here at McAllen P D. So um it's a healthy salary, uh it's proud service. 
um, we we seek the best uh, um, public servants that we possibly can find in this area at McAllen, wow. and um, uh, it's an exciting opportunity. With sixty-two-five base pay, yeah, I think you're going to be attracting some good candidates uh, for that position. Again, yes, you sir. said the civil yes, service exam. Did you say March fifteenth? The uh, the exam will be held March March the fifteenth. March fifteenth. Now there, the yeah, the deadline to to sign up for the exam is March the sixth, and therefore uh, the impetus behind us trying to get the message out here the last couple of days or so through these uh, public press releases uh, to get the information out. We've got uh, the the window to uh, the window closes on March the sixth. That is for the March fifteenth exam. Victor Rodriguez is our chief of police for the city of McAllen. Base pay for starting police officer sixty two thousand. $500. And of course, plenty of benefits as well, as you can imagine. I, I would imagine it's yes, a good retirement, good retirement system. Um, One of the best retirement packages around. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right. Now, of the force that you have right now that you said it was 316, like patrol and investigators, like so the sworn police officers, how many do you retain? Uh, like 90%, 85%, where you only have to, you know, worry about, like you said, retirement. Uh, folks that leave for other places, all that stuff. How, how many do you normally keep? So our our annual attrition rate is somewhere between 65 and 7%. Okay. In other words, um, well, that's there you go. our There's track a 24 record positions the last, right there. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. So that's our track record on a, on a, on an annual basis, and that's been our track record for the last 18 years. Is that good, sir? Is that good compared to other departments? Good. That is that, that is very good. Now okay. there have been years when it's been higher than than, than the others, and there have been years that have been lower than the others. But on the average, uh, if if somebody at, if somebody was going to look at our attrition rate over the a period of let's say fifteen twenty years, that's going to be somewhere in the area between six and a half to seven uh, percent, which is a very um, it's a it's a very good attrition ratio, especially in today's time. Yes, sir. Oh yeah, yeah many positions open. So the civil service exam, March 15th, March 6th will be the deadline to take that civil service exam. you got to pass that exam, and then you'd be considered for, you will choose the individuals to hire and then eventually send to police academy, right, to get training. How long is that training? How, how does that work? So so the, the process for us, once the, uh, the we're a civil service city, and, then, and therefore we will have a civil service police entrance examination that's administered by the City of McAllen Civil Service Commission. Once once that is administered and we get a list of those people passing, they're put on the list, and that list is turned over to us. Then we work from that list to do uh, the physical agility, backgrounds, and those people that clear all the steps all the way up to the hiring point, yeah. then uh, then they're hired and enter the what we call the police. We put them in our police academy. Our police academy program is 24 weeks long. So... After 24 weeks, they go into a uh, 12 to 14 week what we call field training program, and then after that, they're what we call solo. They go on their own after that. So, it's an extensive um, police training program that once they graduate the academy uh, and before they go to the FTO program, they 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 pass their state license. Huh. Wow. And once they pass their yeah. state license, then they get into the field training program. What if I, and just you know hypothetical? 
I don't know, somebody decides to move in from New York. Screw that. We don't want to be beaten up by illegal immigrants and people shoplifting all the time. I'm going to work to Texas. They're licensed. They're veterans that have experience. Do they forego all of that and you give them a badge and go, go patrol? Or do they have to go through the whole 24 weeks of training and, and all that? So the short answer is no. They've got so we're a civil we're a civil service city. That is, we're a Texas civil service city. They must they must the there's only one way in, and that is to get in through the civil service process. All right, get all the of exam. them, even cops, so they're oh, already on another force. Y- y- yes, sir. All right. Now, once they're licensed somewhere else, and they don't require necessarily to be relicensed, then that's a that's a that's a different analysis and a different set of uh, procedures that we adhere to, but. You can't get there without first getting through the civil service exam, the physical agility, yeah. and um, backgrounds and psychologicals and things like that that we must perform before we sure, get there. Sure, sure. No, and you know, because I'm, I'm sure there's some cops tuning in that work here in, in South Texas. And say, I hey, hope you know so. what? Yes, I hope you know, they're listening. They're on yes, patrol sir. right now, right? I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna go take one of those positions at McAllen. Tell them we pay better, and uh, the uh, the deadline yeah. the, the deadline for signing up for our civil our civil service police entrance exam is March the sixth. So between that yeah. now and then, they can sign up at the McAllen uh, civil service office. We look for the best public servants, and uh, I hope we can uh, we can attract some uh, good applicants uh, during this go round. Producer Freddie, he kind of wanted to sign up for it, but there's like an age right oh, restriction, okay. right? No, sir. Yeah. No, there, nope. there there is not. No age no, restriction. Okay. But there is that physical agility. There's a physical uh, agility uh, test you got to take, Freddie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They got to pass. That's yeah. correct. Right? He doesn't want any stress either. He doesn't want any stress. That's what he's trying to get get that <laughs> stress monkey off of his back. Thank you, Chief. Thank Our you. McAllen Police Chief Victor Rodriguez. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710 KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United crisp, clear audio, and access to previous programs from 710-KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Orlando Campos is the chief over at Harlingen Economic Development. We're going to get an update. Orly, welcome back to the program. Let's start with a program that you have, though. I think it's towards the end of March, like third week in March, hoping to help some local folks start up their businesses. So let's get that on air real quick. What you got? Sure. Well, we're planning uh, an event called Let's Get Down to Business. So this event is scheduled March 23rd um, at the Moon Rock, Moon Rock Truck Cafe here in Harlingen on, on West Jefferson Avenue, which will run from uh, 9 to uh, noon. And so the uh, purpose of the event is to bring various city departments uh, together, okay. uh, as well as other organizations such as the SBA, UTRGV that can help provide support to uh, small businesses. And essentially it's an event uh, where any individual that's looking at starting up a business 
uh, or making a development here in the community can meet with officials that can provide more information on permitting and zoning and things that they will need uh, to ensure that they have a seamless process here in the community and obviously to underscore the fact that we are business friendly and so we welcome new investment to the community. Okay, so one-stop shop, you're looking at uh, potential capital sources, maybe other uh, training, permitting, regulations, all that. Is it, is it in Q&A form or is it like different booths setting up at that location? How's that going to go no. down? Every uh, group will have a, um, a different booth so individuals can stop by and uh, talk to individuals that uh, obviously make a lot of the decisions for the, uh, the community. So an opportunity to meet them in an informal setting uh, as well. That way, once they go through the formal process, they're familiar with who they're working with. How many folks can you host at that training seminar? It will be a come-and-go event, so we can easily host uh, over 300 people throughout the, uh, the morning. And so there will be a few food trucks that will be open if anyone wants to grab breakfast uh, yeah. or lunch, um, they will be open. Yeah, You had me at food trucks. That, that's what got my, <laughs> my, my attention. Orlando Campos is the chief of Harlingen Economic Development. Again, real quick, the location, uh, the date and time for that event. When is it? Sure. Yeah. Moon Rock uh, Food Truck Yard located on West Jefferson, just uh, east of Interstate 69 uh, East, March 23rd from 9 a.m., to noon. All right, Bill. And I would imagine you're posting information on that on your website for Harlingen Economic Absolutely. Development. Absolutely. Yes. Let's get an update, economic development update. Any new arrivals, job creation numbers you want to share with us? Sure. Well, we're actively working with uh, a few um, projects. Several of them have already made their commitment to the uh, community. So right now we're looking at close to $120 million in new investment that will happen here in the community creating uh, close to 300 jobs Uh, these are projects that we've had uh, direct involvement with obviously there are others that are happening organically in the community so we're definitely seeing quite a bit of activity and growth happening in harlingen let me revisit the idea that local leadership Contemplate if that they conferenced over here at, at Big Gathering, compliments of the Rio Grande Valley Chamber of Commerce. I want to get your thoughts on this because I, I know you've been looking at economic development issues from the Eagles Perch for the longest time. Just want to get your thoughts, maybe an update on the continuing effort, the vision by many here in South Texas to sell this region as one region and one voice. What else can we do? together as EDC entities, as county entities, what else do you think we can do together in order to sell this region sure. as one and land a big manufacturer, some big industry, more so than what's already showing up? Yeah, and uh, this is an effort that's being spearheaded by the uh, Rio Grande Valley Partnership, and I think it was long overdue since coming back. I've taken notice of the efforts that are being spearheaded by them. I think that it's very important to continue moving in that direction. Basically, anyone that's Looking at the valley, that's from Chicago, L.A., New York. When they look at this part of the state, obviously they only see one one region. So I think that it's very important for all the communities and all the ED directors to collaborate amongst each other 
just as um, I used to do when I was in the uh, DFW region. Mm-hmm. The rising uh, tide raises all ships, and so obviously whatever benefits one community will impact the entire Rio Grande Valley because a lot of these businesses will need suppliers and um, other businesses to help support their efforts. And if they can't find them in one community, they'll look at others uh, in the surrounding areas. Orlando Campos is the chief of Harlingen Economic Development at Harlingen. You've got that seaport, you've got that major airport, the connection, the internet the interstate connection there, uh, so many connections for business. And, and now, not very far away, really, just a, a stone's throw away from all the amazing economic activity at Brownsville with liquefied natural gas nearby Elon Musk with that ex- the expansion of the rockets that he's developing out there. What do you see as a longtime EDC chief as potential low-hanging fruit, support services, industries, raw material providers that we could – you know, go door knock at, try to bring them down here to Harlingen, Brownsville, and the surrounding sure. community. Sure. Obviously, one of the things that we're spearheading is the uh, uh, reconnecting with our neighbors to the south in uh, Mexico. Mexico seeing tremendous growth with uh, nearshoring and new investments being made in the industrial sector in that country. So obviously, with that growth, uh, uh, we'll we will start seeing some of that spill over onto the north side of the border. And so we're ideally situated to take advantage of some of that. With everything else that's happening in the valley, uh, in Brownsville, and even in McAllen, um, Harlingen is ideally situated uh, to be right at the center of two of the largest uh, growth areas here in the Rio Grande Valley. So businesses that are looking at taking advantage of the opportunities that exist throughout the uh, Rio Grande Valley would uh, are basically looking at Harlingen to be able to service the upper as well as the uh, lower valley. We're also starting to see quite a bit of spillover in terms of of uh, residential development, and a lot of that is driven by some of these um, large projects that are happening in the region. People that are choosing to uh, live a little further and have their dollars. Uh, stretch a little bit more here in the valley. So we're seeing quite a bit of that. And all of that goes back to a rising tide raises all ships. So we're obviously benefiting from that. We're also seeing quite a bit of growth in the uh, the retail sector as well. We attended the International Council of Shopping Centers Red River show in Dallas a few weeks ago along with the RGV partnership. So we spoke with quite a number of retailers as well as developers that are buying the valley and specifically Harlingen as well. So we're definitely working with them. Los Indios, potential development there. I know like all bridges uh, seem to be seeing some type of development infrastructure on our side. Yes. And that's obviously a a large major focal point for the uh, community. community. We have a, um, you just talked uh, before our conversation about the wait times coming into the U.S. from Mexico. And so a few weeks ago, we traveled to Matamoros. So we crossed that Los Indios Bridge, and the lines were very, very short. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an untapped asset that we have here. And so we will be focusing on right. promoting that. Uh, there's quite a bit of industrial development on the uh, west side of Matamoros, which makes it ideal for those companies to utilize uh, Los Indios Bridge. Right. And many of them uh, are already. So we expect uh, continued growth 
uh, as well as traffic for the, uh, the bridge. Thank you, Orly. Good luck uh, near future in developing Harlingen in the area. Orlando Campos, he's director of Harlingen Economic Development. Talk Station, News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. From UTRGV, our university president, Dr. Guy Bailey. Welcome back, Dr. B. So I understand we have a new stadium now for UTRGV. That's our football stadium, right? That's exactly right. We have purchased the uh, what we call UTRGV Stadium now, HEB Park, uh, which was the home of the Toro soccer team. And, of course, they uh, have ceased operations, and we're able to purchase that stadium. And uh, with some renovations, we think it's going to be a first-class football stadium, but also uh, a venue for various entertainment that we can invite uh, to the valley, uh, we, we're hoping that we can let high schools uh, use that to host a regional uh, uh, playoff games. We know our high schools have been going; we're going to be going to regional and state playoffs here, and so we uh, we're very excited about it. Is the area big enough where perhaps you could expand the parking area for the stadium? Maybe create some bookends, more seatings, uh, higher tiers of seating, maybe a, a huge press box like the one they have at the Memorial Stadium in McAllen, something like that. It is. And uh, if, if you, we, we purchased a, a good bit of property around there with, okay. it goes with the stadium, including the amphitheater and the, the kind of picnic area. We think it's be a great tailgating area. And so we'll be able to expand this. The, the city is going to do some improvements and expansion on Freddie Gonzalez going in there. So, we think the the access will be very good. It's a wonderful venue for things like, and of course, tailgating's become a big part of uh, of college football now. And we think we have an ideal area for that, a great area where the band can go and play in the in the amphitheater. And uh, and by the way, our marching band will be in the Charo Days Parade this coming Saturday <laughs> in Brownsville. Awesome. Got to get that plug in there. Yeah. Be, be sure to watch them. <laughs> the uh, and and so we we and there there at the uh, the south end zone there uh, you know there's plenty of room for expansion so it, we we have we have big plans and this will unfold over time. You've been mentioning that band so much. I think they're going to wind up making you like honorary. What is that? What is that? Drum major? <laughs> Lead the band with one of these parades. It would have. It would have to be that because I can't play any. <laughs> so. Doctor Guy Bailey, UTRGV, your guest. Doctor Bailey, Tim Sullivan here. Talk about the yes. purchase a bit. Uh, what was the purchase price? Uh, who were the negotiating parties? Well, it's thirty-nine million, and the the city helped us with this, and so. 
we'll go into some of the more det- details about this later, but uh, we work closely with the city of Edinburgh and they were a key partner in, in helping us get this. And so, uh, but 39 million and, you know, as a university, we can only pay, pay assessed value. So that's what the assessed value of the stadium was. If you ever try to sell us something, by the way, we can only pay assessed value by state law. So, Good to and, know. And, uh, and so that's what we uh, that's what we're able to pay for that. And so we, we we'll have more announcements regarding the stadium, some very exciting ones coming up uh, over the next three weeks. What so. um, what renovations do you think are needing to be made? And, and will those renovations, <clears throat> yeah. I guess you kind of alluded to this earlier, but will they increase seating capacity? Well, uh, initially, no. We think we think we, we, with ten thousand seats, we're we're fine to start off with, uh, and and we hope we'll need to to increase it very quickly after that. But the kinds of things that need to be done immediately: locker rooms. Remember, uh, <clears throat> we're talking about eighty-five uh, or eighty players uh, coming in, and so that's and and that's one reason why high school stadiums even are not. Uh, you'd have to do renovations on any stadium uh, in the in the valley because you might have eighty about eighty athletes, and so and there's all the equipment, all the things that go with that. So the things that you don't see are really the things that have to be done first, and uh, the locker rooms in particular, both visiting and home, and uh, and, and then there are some other things, some access handicap access things, and other things we'll do. Uh, that will make the stadium that has a wonderful scoreboard already. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, and, and so we think, and there's some other things we'll do with it. We think will be very creative and innovative that will create a great fan experience. And to be used for multiple programs, I'm sure at the university soccer and, well, and other programs, we could, I mean, we have, a, we already have a wonderful soccer complex that we just opened. Okay. And so, but but if we if we needed to we could we could do that we we could uh, uh, think about uh, you know you can host concerts you can do a lot of different things and uh, on, again we'd put turf down I mean I I think it's it's pretty hard to you know uh, inexpensive to keep grass the mm-hmm. soccer teams really want to play on on real grass and uh, and and there's various kinds of turf that's probably better for uh, mm-hmm. for football so. Those are the things that we would do immediately. Well, there you go. Now you got a chance to send a text message over to the chancellor at A&M. Have a fun game between A&M and uh, UTRGV, the Vaquitos, <laughs> sometime next year. Make it a fundraiser hey, or something. We, 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 you know, he comes down here a lot. We'd love yeah. to, for him to bring the team with him. And uh, we, we would be... We would show him the best time he's ever had. Dr. Guy Bailey, president of UTRGV. So get a, give us a status report on the actual football program. We're about a year and a half away from kickoff, muscle minnows, season tickets, uh, sponsorship opportunities, all those things that I'm sure are working right now at the business office. Yeah, by the way, our first game would be on August the 30th, 2025. That's exactly 10 years from the day the university opened. Wow. So uh, on our 10th anniversary nice. and uh, – uh, Coach has done a great job of recruiting. They have about 70 players, uh, scholarship and walk-on so far, and uh, he has another year of recruiting. And so those players will be joining us in the in the fall. We do have a couple of early enrollees, but uh, but they'll be joining in the fall and starting uh, uh, practice and and starting preparations. He did a very nice job of recruiting both 
uh, around the state and within the Valley. We, we got some great kids in the Valley. We got great kids from Laredo, El Paso, all along the border. We have kids from central Texas, from the San Marcos and, uh, uh, area we have kids from the Houston area, very fine quarterback that I know the uh, coach was very high on. Uh, Absolutely, who's able to recruit. So he, he's done a great. He has a terrific staff, and they've done a great job of recruiting. Dr. Guy Bailey, President UTRGV, and if you'd like to mention any other issues related to brick and mortar or research, I saw one press release about almost half million dollars. U.S. Department of Justice for the University on Forensic Research and any other other items you'd like to mention? Well, we you know our research uh, is growing by leaps and bounds, and and we, we hope by early fall to have a big announcement on that. So just uh, but the, the our research uh, is and, we, and we've gotten a number of really nice federal grants. Some of them in uh, well, we had a, I think a ten million dollar grant in. Uh, in genetics to create a center there that's that's going to be very very good we've had very large grants of 10 million in engineering uh, we have probably the best rail safety center uh, in the united states in engineering our, and we have two new uh, phd programs in engineering so our engineering program is becoming well funded and uh, uh, human genetics and genomics we've done a great job of getting funding there and neurosciences I, I just had saw some figures. We've over the last couple of years gotten about fifteen million dollars in uh, uh, in grants related to neurosciences for th- study things like Alzheimer's disease, for instance. So uh, that all of that is going extremely well. <clears throat> it's not as high profile as football, <clears throat> but I guarantee you I spend as much of my time on it. Ten four, all in the effort to increase the status of the university when it comes to research which is a multi-year endeavor. Uh, what What is the next level when it comes to research uh, for the university? Well, we, we would, uh, <clears throat> we hope very soon to, uh, to, to be uh, named an emerging research institution. Now in Texas, <clears throat> there are three levels of institutions, national research institutions, and that's Texas and uh, <clears throat> Texas A&M and, and Rice as a private institution. Then there are emerging research institutions. There are eight of those. Uh, th- these are schools like uh, UT Dallas, UT San Antonio, Texas Tech, University of Houston. Hmm. We think we'll be in that category uh, within a year. Excellent. Less than a year. That's good to hear. So, good to hear. All right. And that's a that's a huge step for us. It is. Thank you, Dr. B. Best of luck, UT RGB President Dr. Guy Bailey. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radiopotomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. 
Helen Ramirez, our city manager for Brownsville. We'll get an economic status report. But, of course, the big news this week is President Joe Biden in town at Brownsville. And just from your perspective, Helen, you and leadership at City Hall, what was your hope uh, as far as messaging or the uh, items that you want President Joe Biden to em- to to focus on from our perspective here on the border? What, what were your hopes of, of this meeting? My hopes included, first of all, thanking President Biden, Biden for choosing Brownsville uh, for coming here and showing that we're, we're important, our region is important, and having a whole alliance of mayors um, present um, is important to him and to his administration. Uh, that more funding is needed for our border and um, and our migrant situation here, and that um, you know that we understand that he's looking at new border legislation and finding solutions together uh, to the humanitarian and efficient um, processing of migrants through our border. So one funding to uh, looking at solving through, solutioning through uh, legislation, and also recognizing that there's a Brownsville model that has become a model for the United States. Um, we, We have the cities of from New York to Chicago, El Paso, and Los Angeles that are learning from how we do things. It's a top-down local government approach, which is different from other communities. But what we found is that it's efficient, it's effective, it's also humanitarian, and really, it really provides the customer service and the support the migrant needs to be able to, or the you know the non-citizen migrant to be able to get to their final destination, which is you know where their sponsor is. So let's give us the support to continue this model and also assist other cities with this type of model, so they too can be successful. Helen Ramirez, our city manager for Brownsville, and this the week we have the President Biden in town as mayors were able to gather and speak with him and other top local leadership as well. There is an economic development follow-up over the next several days. Now that you know, you guys have exchanged contact information with key people at the White House and all those things, uh, we are also on the front lines of key economic issues. Uh, I know Joe Biden and Elon Musk are probably not best friends, but either way, with the developing um, star base that we have here and the potential LNG, just a few days back, he paused new exports of LNG. That's key to us. My goodness, we're talking about that plus computer chip and the issues up up in in Washington have, have changed when it comes to imports, exports, and production allowances for this. We, we lost a big computer chip maker in McAllen recently. I, I hope that over the next several days we have key leadership in the area to follow up on important economic development issues, not only for the benefit of the Valley, for, for the nation, and, and I hope you and everybody else in Valley Partnership can, can follow up with these people up at the White House. Absolutely. I think it's you know, the economic driver, the city and the border we always talk about the new border economy which is technology with you know city the city of Brownsville and many cities around the border are building up their fiber cut capabilities um in addition you know the port of Brownsville uh, is economic driver the LNGs they got their permits you know they're 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 moving forward so the job creation that we're seeing um in this hub in this region um, you know, everybody is really, you can see that, that the transformational growth mm-hmm. and the revitalization of downtown. 
So all the accumulation of all that um, is something that is recognized um, and we will continue to push for the need to improve our infrastructure because many, many of these um, economic drivers also impact our infrastructure. So, you know, projects like the East Loop project, the $100 million project, you know, it is going to be impartially funded by, you know, TxDOT and also the second causeway is it would also be federally assisted. So those types of major infrastructure we have to keep pushing for because it allows for great connectivity not for not only for our truck traffic through Veterans Bridge through the Brownsville Airport and the Port of Brownsville, um, but also for tourism, right? And boosting our tourism here mm -hmm. as one of the, the great places issues. to go to the beach in the nation. Helen Ramirez, our city manager from Brownsville, joining us. Yeah, Mr. Ramirez, Tim Sullivan here. And back to the president's visit for a moment. Uh, immigration, of course, one uh, big issue. Uh, but water is another, a lack of water. Uh, also, a disaster in the Gulf shrimping industry has been declared, and the president has made mention that he is working on that. Uh, are those issues, uh, do you think those issues are, are not going to be lost in, in the discussion on immigration? Well, there's a focus on immigration. Um, our mayor, Cowan, uh, is very in tune with binational needs and our own national needs. He also sits on uh, the board of our Brownsville Public Utility Board and is very, we are all very much in tune um, through the region of our stage two situation with regard to the drought. Um, so he will have that opportunity, or he has had the opportunity to speak to the White House about the, the drought, the needs that we have um, in our community and, and the binational relationships that need to be strong. You know, we talk about Matamoros, we're, we're in the middle of Charro days, right? Uh, and that that is exactly that, having that relationship with Matamoros and Mexico where we share water resources. You know, how can we best secure the viability of both our regions, both our areas. Um, you know, what we are content about is that certain permits from the FAA, you know, are being, from what we hear, um, are being approved for Starship's um, next flight, which is scheduled to be mid-March, according to SpaceX. And so those are the things that, you know, from an aerospace perspective, drought management, energy, and also LNG perspective. Those are conversations that we have, ongoing conversations with the White House and um, and the state of Texas. So it's very important to, that we're always pushing our agenda for the needs and the betterment of our whole region. Helen Ramirez, our city manager for Brownsville. Let's get an update on the efforts to unify economic development entities in the city conversations. I know that's on the ballot here pretty soon. Yes, it is. Um, for us, it's important to that the that we educate the public as to what this means. It is not an increase in property or sales tax for the city of Brownsville. I think that's very important. The the, the change in the driver here is, is being able to capture half a cent of um, sales tax in our growth area, which is called our extraterritorial jurisdiction. There's many wonderful projects that are going out in the county area, and we believe that capturing that and being, we will be able to use that for different projects from quality of life 
you know, trails and open space to infrastructure and complete streets and roads. So there's a, like, like I said, every, everything has an opportunity. Right now we're not able to, we don't normally expend funds in our, in the, in the county or the ETJ area, but, you know, really that's, we just talked about these great economic driver projects, which are in county areas. So this will give us the opportunity through a municipal development district to be able to expend money, um, not only within the city, but in the ETJ. And we have certain areas, as you know, that even are near colonias that are in need. So I want, I want people to uh, realize that this will allow us to expend money in areas that we need to in the EDJ to be able to improve our quality of life and our connectivity, not only within the city of Brownsville, but ex external to Brownsville. And with regard to, we have wonderful staff at the Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation and the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation. You know, we have great agreements with many companies that will all remain. So while we will just get bigger and stronger, and you know, we always talk about, we've been talking a lot about uh, in the RGV about regionalism. This is another example. Rather than having, you know, two separate EDCs, right, where there's respective boards, um, you know, and then adding a third one through the MDD, why don't you have one, uh, you know, one great, um, you know, just, you know, with you can accomplish yeah. so much together one talent and with pool. more funding. Yeah, one talent pool, one uh, entity negotiating for the area. Well, that's an issue for the May ballot that would be in the May general election, and we'll yes. continue talking about that. Helen Ramirez, our city manager for Brownsville. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. From Texas Oil and Gas, former Ag Commissioner Todd Staples. May I start on another subject? I know you and I were going to talk about LNG and all that. We can talk about that in a second, but I want to get your thoughts real quick, Todd, on well, the reality, like last week, we lost our, like the state of Texas, and of course the Rio Grande Valley, we lost our last sugar mill, last processor here in Santa Rosa, and it's all linked directly to the water shortage, the water problems, the lack of delivery from Mexico under its um, its obligations on, under the treaty, and yet again, more Texas ag being hurt to the tune of you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to get your thoughts on on this mess that we have, we're powerless to fix unless somehow the federal government gets in there and renegotiates with Mexico. Sergio, what's happening to Texas farmers and ranchers on the Rio Grande Valley is a real tragedy because you have a 1944 agreement between the United States and Mexico that the Mexican government has not enforced. They have not shown any inclination to comply with what they agreed to. And this isn't just a one- or two-time thing. This has been going on now uh, for years and years. 
to the extent that it's now damaged and hurt uh, the sugar mill. And, and and look, our government has to enforce not only our border, but our agreements with our neighboring countries. We have a tremendous amount of trade with Mexico. We know that there are opportunities for both countries. But if you have a set of rules and only one side's complying with it, it does no good. And now we see the damage that it's done here. We need our federal government to step up and to stand up for the farmers in the Rio Grande Valley and 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 call uh, Mexico to account and find other ways to uh, enforce the agreements that have been made. You're working as chief over agriculture in Texas and deeply connected with state government and a lot of leadership in Austin. Do you think maybe state of Texas, like state of Texas trying to solve the border immigration mess, maybe we, we should uh, take a new initiative for the sake of Texas ag and look at a more aggressive plan to set up desal plants or something like that, like Plan B, because that help from the feds and that help from Mexico, that ain't coming anytime soon, and we're so vulnerable when it comes to Texas ag. Well, you know, Texas voters have dedicated some significant money that the legislature put up for the Texas Water Development Board for low-interest loans to help communities to build out their water systems. There are billions of dollars available, and I think the Rio Grande Valley and the farmers need to start looking at some of those. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work financially, the state has, Sergio, the state of Texas, because of oil and natural gas being so successful in the last couple of years, has literally billions and billions and billions of dollars that are available. I can think of, of no better use than to look at the needs there to see if it can be identified, but. I can tell you we need to play tough as well at the same time. When I was a commissioner, Canada and Mexico wanted to ship Canadian cattle into Mexico using Texas export pens, and Texas cattle were not allowed to go in. So we effectively shut down the border. We blockaded by not allowing Canada to use our export pens. And then in a short period of time, uh, the border was opened up for U.S. and Texas cattle as well. We need to take those types of measures and, say, and, play, and play hardball at times if we're ever yes, going to get any change on this water policy. Yeah. From Texas Oil and Gas, we're looking at a, a new study that was put together by Dr. Dean Foreman, chief economist at Texas Oil and Gas. And let's look at some of the um, – or the president of Texas Oil and Gas, Todd, Todd Staples, joining me right now, former ag commissioner. So let's look at some of the findings from – uh, Dr. Foreman's review saying that LNG exports had no impact on the domestic energy cost, and we're looking at major advantages with LNG if we could if we could just leave it alone, Todd. Actually, domestic LNG production and exporting LNG to bigger worldwide markets helps drive prices down. You know, one of the key tenets of this administration's decision to pause LNG export permit approvals was that exporting this LNG abroad would raise prices for consumers. Dr. Foreman's study demonstrates this is a baseless statement. It's yet another ploy to end American energy production because data confirms LNG exports have had no impact on domestic natural gas prices. In fact, the real price of natural gas in America hit its lowest point in 30 years in mid-February, while our LNG exports have neared record highs. Dr. Foreman's study demonstrates 
that because there is a growing opportunity that uh, people have invested more and we've had tr- tremendous amount of natural gas production at, at its highest levels and American consumers are actually benefiting because of this investment in production right here in the Lone Star State and in America. We're grateful, at, at least it seems that here at Brownsville with the 18 and a half billion dollar investment in the continued production of this export node and a secondary one that might be setting up shop here nearby that maybe we came in under the radar won't be negatively affected at least in the construction of of this node future contracts will uh, that remains to be seen and we hope and pray at least i hope and pray that there will be a change of the administration up in dc because relying on the courts to remove that pause is I don't know. I, I think it might be catastrophic to Texas LNG in the future. Well, we know that the U.S. House has actually recently passed with bipartisan support, I might add, H.R. 7176. It was titled Unlocking Our Domestic LNG Potential Act uh, by Congressman Pfluger. Uh, the bad thing is that's got to be passed by the Senate and then signed by the very president <laughs> that is sanctioned the these permits. Yeah. And so... What we need is policy that treats natural gas like an asset, not like a liability, so that America can continue to lead. We can provide affordable, reliable energy as well as energy security. Mr. Staples, thank you for your time. Be safe, brother. We'll talk to you again. He's president of Texas Oil and Gas, Todd Staples. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.